Well, good evening, everyone. How is everybody doing tonight? Doing well? That was really pathetic. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. I didn't mean to call you a hell out. Maybe, maybe my excitement wasn't, wasn't there, right? Okay, how y'all doing tonight? You guys doing well? Good, okay, okay. <laughs> mm. uh, what a time to live in. <sighs> we think about it, we wrestle with it, and songs like that last one we sang just point us to the reality that it's not a religion that we are a part of. You see, we're a part of a religion is briefly described as a self-help, feel-good, work-your-way-to-heaven. And there is no way that that is a relationship because it puts all the work, all the want, all the need to get things right on you. And I don't know about you, but last time I attempted to be really, really super uber spiritual, I fell flat on my face. I will not bore you or entertain you with the details. But let's just say it happened out on Highway 62. Yeah, those laughing know exactly what I'm talking about. If you are in the fast lane, you got to be going fast, okay? I mean, that's all I'm going to say. There we go. Lord, forgive me. Okay. Onward and better things to talk about. We are going through the book of Titus. I'm loving it. I'm loving that uh, we are going through the pastoral epistles. We finished First Timothy. I'd highly recommend you guys going back and just refreshing your memory. We have started Titus last week. We get to be in Titus 2 this week. And these... Uh, these pastoral epistles are exactly that, an older, wiser, loving mentor is coaching two young pastors. And my friends, if you want to know how a church ought to behave, if you want to pray for your church leadership, look at these books. Wrestle with these books. Pray these passages over our leaders. Because we live in a world that really, really wants to have that religion mindset. They want to have that thought process because they're looking for a way to denounce Christianity because of all the hypocrisy. Well, you say this and you do, do that. And my friends, that shouldn't be. You see, before we get started in Titus 2, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was actually preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you guys can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5... That's where I'd like to start tonight. You see, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking talking to his disciples, talking to the crowd, talking to the group that is following him. And you have to understand that back then, there was a particular group of religious people that were just dumping law after law, after ritual, after tradition, after, I mean, it was just, just overloading them. And yet, look at what Jesus actually commands, he encourages, he tells the crowd, the disciples, how different they should be than the rest of the world. It's a very famous passage, probably one of my favorites just because of the, the, the contrast of what it is to be following Christ in a relationship with Christ and trying to do things a religious way. 
And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus starts off with this. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But no, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My friends, there's two metaphors here, salt and light. Let's take a look at salt here. Ah, Salt. It's great for helping with flavor. Put a little salt on it, and it really enhances the flavor. Salt, it's really good for preserving, for stopping the decay. And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's telling us that we get to be the good flavor. And we are to stop the decay of sin in the world today. Now, when I say stop, I'm not saying that we're sitting there stopping it. Only Christ can stop it. But by our lives, it's slowed down. And you are the light of the world. You don't light it light a candle and put something over it. No, you put it on on a stand. So there's light throughout. That that's the way our lives should be. On a stand, shining. Why? Not to bring glory to you and I. That's not what it says. But that's what religion would say. Hey, You need to be salt. You need to be light. Why? Because it's all about you. No. It says, let your life be. So people look at it and go, wow. Look at what God has done in their life. Look at how God has changed them so much. And my friends... You can turn with me to Titus 2, and as we do, I want you to understand nowhere was this understanding of what it meant to be a genuine Christian was more needed than where where we're about to read, the island of Crete. Remember, let me, let me uh, explain a couple things from last week, I, I explained how wonderful the island of Crete was. Remember the quote I gave. Moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. They, I mean, in fact, one of their own prophets called them lazy, sluggards. They, they were just, <laughs> they thought about themselves. And that's all that they thought about. Where the gospel says, no, 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 think about others. Look at others. And so I want to do a little backstory or a little little background so we can prep ourselves for Titus 2. If you remember in the first part of chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church, or writing to, to Titus. And he's telling them, hey, understand what you're up against. It was a tough, tough, difficult job. But Paul said, hey, you got this. And these are the people in verses 6 through 9 
that I want you to go out and I want you to find, I want you to disciple, I want you to encourage them so that they can lead and they can be disciples. And then in verse 10 through 16, he's saying, look at all this lies that Cretes are doing. That the, the, the people on the island of Crete were doing. They were adding rules. They were, they were going back to the Mosaic law. And it was just wrecking havoc in that world, in, in, on that island. And Paul actually goes to, uh, uh, to Titus, goes, no, shut them up. <laughs> Don't let them talk. And this is where we pick up. Instead of just jumping right into chapter 2, verse 1, I actually want to go back a little bit. I want to look, and I'm going to start in verse 10. Because remember, you and I, when we see Titus, we see three chapters. We see the first chapter has 16 verses. We see the second chapter, and, and, and somehow we just stop right there. Oh, we're stopping at chapter 1, which is great for you guys so you don't, hear us pastors go on and on and on. But sometimes, especially like this, it almost cuts a thought in half. And so I encourage you guys to don't take text out of context. See the overarching theme of the entire book, the passage, what it's actually saying. And I think if we were to start in verse 10, and what we're going to do is I'm going to read, (laughs) here we go, I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through the end of chapter 2, all at once, just so we see it as a big picture, and then we're going to go back, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and look at it verse from verse. Sound good? Here it goes. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Remember I said that they were, they were trying to add law to it. They were wanting these Gentiles to get circumcised. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This saying, meaning this testimony, is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. They, pro- they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, you see why I wanted to, to combine the two? Paul now goes, but as for you, Titus... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 
there to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing, pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So, where are we? What do we do? What do we look at? How do we start dissecting Titus 2? We see this overarching theme. We see Paul talking to Titus, encouraging him not just to find elders. Did you guys catch that? And you've heard me say it before. A lot of people will take the Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3 passage, they'll take the Titus chapter 1, 6 through 9 passage, and they'll say, oh, you know what? I'm not called to be an elder, so I shouldn't strive for those things. But yet, if you look at exactly the list that Titus is encouraging Christians of Crete to be doing, you see it's very, very similar to the list of those elders. And so we could stop right there and say, Lord, help me with these lists. And when I say these lists, I hope you don't walk away tonight thinking, Man, that's one more thing I gotta do, or I can't uphold that, or, you know, I, I struggle with this, or I str- Guys, this is something that you and I can come before the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who died on the cross for our failures, and be honest with him and say, Hey Lord, looking at your word, I realize how much I need you. How much I failed. How much I need your son. And so, verse 1. Here we go. But as for you, he's talking to Titus. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Oh, man. Okay. This is the stuff that you should be teaching to the people of Crete. All right? Paul is saying, what we're about to go through, this is how we live out the gospel. This is how you and I are salt and light, because it's so different than what the world actually encourages. The world encourages for you to just worry about you. The world encourages for you to think about only you. And you might throw a couple bones here, or you might help someone out there, but we live in a world that is very selfish. You don't believe me? Just start thinking about life. Start thinking about people you come into contact with. Start thinking about how hard it is to, to give of our time, our money, our efforts. And I don't say this to condemn. I don't say this to, to point fingers. What I'm saying is there's a contrast. In the gospel, it is a contrast. And it's something that we really don't like to camp on. 
because we get uncomfortable. We think, well, can I have it all? We're going to go through the verses, and we're going to see why he asks us to be set apart. We're going to go through the verses, and we're going to see how he calls us to be flavor, to stop the sin in our lives, to be different than the world. I want you guys to just take a second and imagine what this island of Crete must have been like, what a normal day must have been like. Because he makes this list, and, and we think, man, that was just an lawless, selfish, lying. What, what, what was it there in, uh, in verse 12 of uh, chapter 1? Um, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I mean, it's like, that just doesn't seem like a fun place to be. But if you're just thinking about yourself, it's the perfect place to be. And that is why Paul goes, we're different. Titus, we're different. Teach this to your, your disciples. Teach this to your flock. And so... Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. All right. Here's a little caveat. I'm not starting off with old men because... Well, you know, I can get myself into a lot of trouble right now. <laughs> but he starts off with the old men because he wants us to understand that there are positions in life. And we're actually going to see that throughout. In the gospel, there are positions. Even in the Trinity, there are positions. And so I know and especially today, International Women's Day. Did you guys know that today is International Women's Day? And I get to talk about verse 5. Yay! <laughs> My friends, it's a dance. The gospel is a dance. You got a leader. You got a follower. And it doesn't mean that they're not both important. And you're going to hear me refer back to Philippians 2 a lot tonight where Jesus was equal with the Father but he submitted himself to him. My friends, there is positions and I want you to understand that there's positions everywhere. It points to the gospel. Do you see the contrast in chapter 1, how they were insubordinate? They didn't want authority. They didn't want positions. They wanted to be selfish and think only about them. And so when Paul is telling Titus, hold on here. Hold on. There are positions. Well, like a <clears throat> true young man, I have to ask myself, what counts as an old man in Paul's book? Well, in the rabbinic literature, young man was classified as anyone between the ages of 18 and 43. Yeah, I made that up. And yes, I'm 42 years old. <laughs> what classifies as an old man, my friends? We know. <laughs> we know. And I don't want to point fingers, but let me tell you, my loved older brothers, listen. You know, this passage is really hard for, I mean, I'm 42, but I'm teaching to people that are older than me. I'm teaching to people that are younger than me. 
and it's hard to to encourage the older generation these things. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Titus in the lawlessness of Crete? I have it easy. I know most of you guys. It's good. But what he's saying is this. Old men, endure. Endure. I can't tell you the temptation I have seen in older men, in older generations, to work, 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 and then the last bit of their life, they just kind of coast it. They just kind of go up. I've done my part. I'm going to go think about me. Don't hurt me for saying this, but my old friends, you guys have so much wisdom that you can give us younger, the young kids. Please don't, don't throw that out. Take the time. Engage in the young generation's life. Endure, it says. The temptation is to coast. And when you start coasting, you start thinking about yourself. You start just pursuing your hobbies. You start just thinking about where you're going to go play golf or where you're going to go eat or fill in the blank. And, and the kingdom likeness, the kingdom mindset becomes a little shady. Shadowed, I should say. And when we start coasting and we start looking inward instead of towards the kingdom, we start becoming a little bit more grumpy, a little bit more cynical, and we're really quick to judge. And so, my friends, listen to what what Paul encourages Titus here. Endure. Endure, be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. I want you to understand something, that be self-controlled is common in this passage. You're going to hear it multiple times. Self-control, self-control, self-control. You don't believe me? Think about what happens when you get bored. Think about what happens when you find an extra 20 bucks in your pocket. Think about what happens when fill in the blank. Guilty as charged. (laughs) But Paul is encouraging Titus to encourage the older generation to be self-controlled, to be sound in faith, to not get cynical, to be temperate, don't give yourself excessively to, to, to numbing things like alcohol, abusing alcohol. It, it changes your complete attitude and outlook on life. But be even keeled. Lead in serving, it says. Mentor young men, and we're going to read that a little bit later. Encourage people to serve alongside with you. I can't tell you how how many times I'll hear, this younger generation needs to know how to work. I'm with you on that one. (laughs) What are we doing about it? We can sit here and we can complain. Or we can become part of their lives. Here's a little shout out. Um, don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm going to anyways. There's a, a, a ministry here in the valley. And this is just one of many, okay? I'm not saying that we all have to stop and do this, but there's, it's one of many. It's called Walking Tall. And it's exactly that. It's exactly that. It's, it's older men mentoring young men 
on how to be Christ-like. Look at ways that you can get involved. Henry Ward said this, it is not the going out of port. It's not the going out, but the coming in that determines the success of the voyage. My friends, finish strong. Older men, you can be certain that young men are actually watching you, learning from you, wanting to learn from you. We pretend we don't. I'll be honest with you. We pretend that we're way too cool for you all. Not true. Not true. So live and grow in a way that God is seen as your true supreme treasure. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Excuse me. What does it mean to be reverent? It means this. Older women, we, you are to live in such a way that is worthy of respect and honor. In your actions, in your attitude, in your words, the way you carry yourself. What would it look like if we all could see your spirit unmasked by the physical beauty, the charm, or the filters? My friends, be reverent, worthy, respect, and honor. Teach them not to be slanderers. Can you imagine? I mean, we read what the Cretans were. And here, Paul is saying, don't do that. Be set apart. They would be different than the normal hubbub workings of Crete. Teach them not to be addicted to much wine. He says that they shouldn't gossip. They shouldn't be alcoholics. Instead, they are to be examples of reverence so they can teach and encourage younger women. Like I spent time with the older men, I'm going to spend some time with the, the older women. You ladies have a blessed, amazing, wonderful calling on your heart. You are to help the younger generation learn how to love the unlovable, their husbands and the kids. (laughs) You think I'm joking. (laughs) My friends, be examples of Christ's likeness. Be example on how to live and show that and encourage younger women. One of the best things that I love is we have a mom's group. I don't know if you knew this, but we have a mom's group that meets here on Tuesdays, every other Tuesday. And it's older moms teaching younger moms how to function in a chaos family. And I say that jokingly, but it's really true. And it's so near and dear. I I sneak in and I, I walk around and I make sure things are safe. But I love listening to the wisdom that you, you pass to the younger generation. Look for ways that you can do that. Look, just like I encourage the men, the older men, look for ways that, that you can love this younger generation. Come alongside and help them. The same, this calling for older men and older women is the same back then as it is now. And you might think, but, 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 but Garrett, 
I dealt with the unlovable. I'm still married to the unlovable, and my kids are now out of my house. Thank you, Lord. I'm not called to go help with that. I challenge you to pray about it. I challenge you to look at ways, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're not called to actually go there and teach like I am teaching now. But that's not what it means to disciple one another. And we could hold our spot here, and we can actually flip back to when Jesus says, I want you to teach them all that I have commanded you. Disciple them. Guys, what they're saying is build a relationship that they can call on you and say, man, I, my baby's not, not, and my baby's fussy. What was something that you did? Hey, I need some wisdom. My loving husband. My loving husband. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> but you know what? Just like the younger men look up to the older men, the younger ladies look up to you. I was encouraged by the older generation that surrounded my wife and helped her learn how to love someone like me. So please... Don't look at it as a chore. Don't look at it as, as a checkoff list. But look at it as fulfilling the gospel, of sacrificing, of loving, of building a relationship. Verse 5. Teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Verse 4. To be self-controlled. There's that word again. Pure. Working at home. Guys, this does not mean, and oh, <sighs> there is scripture after scripture, and if we had time, we would turn there. This is not Paul saying, you are a woman, and you need to work at home. No, there's actually scripture after scripture of women running really good businesses. I mean, like, taking care of the household businesses, like, like, being the money maker, and that's good. So, so don't don't think, oh well, uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm disobeying. I'm 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 not doing what is right. No, no, no. If God has called you to be part of the business class, then be part of the business class. What He's saying is, go where God has called you. But if God has called you to be a stay-at-home mom, then be a stay-at-home mom and bless the kids' socks off by being a stay-at-home mom. Don't listen to the world that is constantly telling you, oh, well, how, how dare you? You gave up your career for the kids? We chuckle at it, but yet we hear it all the time. So my friends, please listen to what it says. Old women teach the young women how to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to work at home, be kind, and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be revealed. Man, we can point out some very controversial phrases right now. And I mentioned one, to be busy at home, to work at home. It does not mean what I said it means, okay? It does not mean that Paul is telling every female to just be a stay-at-home mom. And the people that misquote this, they take the text out of context and you're left with a con. They are not seeing the overarching theme. That overarching theme is the gospel, and that our overarching theme right here is they're combating the selfishness. Because you know what? If God puts it on your heart to be a stay-at-home mom, that is one of the best jobs ever. I am so thankful for stay-at-home moms. 
and my hat is off to you. Talk about a tough job. Older men and older women, we should be praying for our stay-at-home moms. But this doesn't mean, it's not saying the Bible commands all women to be stay-at-home. No. No. There's no denying that God has given the mother an amazing responsibility at home. And often, in doing so, she sacrifices her career. But that's okay. Because the gospel says your primary goal should not be to fulfill yourself, but to faithfully serve Christ. Did you guys catch that? And so, my friends, if you're struggling with stay-at-home, with career, with A, go talk with some some older moms that, that did what you're wanting to do. Maybe they balanced a home life and a career life. See how they did it. It is okay. But don't. Don't be selfish and fulfill the want. But faithfully serve God. Amen? We can see that this is one of those areas that is incredibly um, contrast with what the world says. And one of the best examples is Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. It was a sacrifice. He served. He did it faithfully because that's what the Father had asked him to do. Side note, while he says this to the young women... It also applies to the young fathers as well. You becoming a family, you're going to have to learn how to sacrifice. Okay? In heaven, we are rewarded not for our accomplishments here on earth, but for our faithfulness in him. First Corinthians 4.3 So as of, uh, if that first phrase wasn't controversial enough, do I even dare begin with this next one? Paul says, and urge younger women to be subject, to be submissive to their husband. Oh, man. Well, seeing as Pastor Travis threw me under the bus on Sunday, no, I'm joking. What does this mean? It means this. The husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church, Ephesians. All right? It means putting her wants, her needs ahead of his own to the point that he would lay down his life for her. A friend of mine said, I want my husband not just to lay down his life for me in a gallant knight in shining armor way but I want my husband to lay down his life for me, his wants, like Christ loved the church every day. And that was some marriage counseling that was given to me and my wife as we were doing pre-marriage counseling 22 years ago. And it has stuck with me. But then they turned and they said, what does that mean for the wife? And I don't know if you know who Kathy Keller is, but Kathy Keller is Tim Keller's wife. And she says this, quote, it means that in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim the deciding vote. I get a vote, he gets a vote, and he gets the deciding vote. My friends, this is a very controversial subject. And again, it is often misquoted and wrongfully applied. But remember how I said earlier that the gospel, 
The gospel is a dance. There's positions in it. And it fulfills. Side note, again, go back to Philippians 2. Jesus is equal with the Father, yet he submitted himself to it. And so you have the man laying down his, uh, his own life and the woman submitting her will to the husband's. This is how we adorn the gospel. Verse 6, it says, likewise. Now, the reason it says likewise, it means that the general spirit of what Paul is writing is uh, to the young women. It also applies to the young men. But notice what he says here. Likewise. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. There's that word again. Self-controlled. If you boil down the Achilles heel of most young men, it's this. They are ruled by our desires, our pleasures, our wants. And our wanter is often broken. Gentlemen, if you got this, you are way ahead of a lot of people. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says this. A man without self-control is like a city whose walls have been broken through. Think of the imagery there. Wild animals, robbers. Man, there, there's nothing to keep your mind safe. Temptation just has to come knocking. Young men, especially now, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but the phrase is adulting. Have you ever heard that? Oh, man, I'm adulting today. Basically, it's the Peter Pan syndrome. It's the I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be responsible. Show me where in the Bible Jesus encourages not to grow up. Not to be mature. Does self-control need to be taught? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was joking a little earlier. You know, believe me, just think about it. What do you do when you're bored? What do you do when you find an extra 20 bucks? What do you do? My friends, one of the biggest issues in today's day and age And unfortunately, it's becoming even more rampant in ladies, is pornography. The use of smartphones and technology at the tips of those innocent minds, there are studies upon studies that the age of when people first are introduced into pornography is getting younger and younger And from anywhere from six to eight years old, they're seeing their first pornographic image. My friends, God wants us to be self-controlled. And if this is a bondage, I want you to see that there's hope. I want you to see that there's grace. And I want you to see that there's forgiveness through the cross of Christ. It's the good news. He paid the price that we couldn't. He broke the chains, the addictions that are so entrapped us. And so I encourage all of us to really think about self-control. Do you guys understand that Paul has encouraged self-control in every generation. It's not just a young guy or a young girl thing. It's for us all. Here's the deal. God actually calls you into a mature Christ living. And it starts with self-control. Self-control is spirituality 101. It's the first thing that we need to get taught. And this is why Paul encourages every generation 
in this area. Verses 7 and 8. Paul switch it, switches it kind, to, kind of to Titus, and this is what he says. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. What a contrast to Titus one sixteen. Let me read it just to, to show it to you. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. My friends, Titus was to be an influence to the young men, to the old men, to the young women, to the old women in Crete, not just by his, his example, but by his teaching. They were to align This is a beautiful combination. We call it practice what they preach. And my friends, this is something that pray for our leaders in this way, pray for our pastors in this way, that we will teach and preach the gospel and we will live it out at home, at our workplace, in our relationships with others. Verses 9 and 10 say this. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not uh, uh, pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We don't have time to turn there. But understand that our work should put on the hope and love of God on display. Write down Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2. All these verses, Paul stresses the importance of believers in the workplace. He's told them before, and, and we sometimes get confused. Well, how as a, as a Christian should I be in the workplace? Well, guys, sometimes people will jokingly say, well, hey, open up a coffee shop and, and call it Jehovah Java. Uh, he brews. Saint Arbuck? No, okay, that's going too far. But he breaks it down. He breaks it down into four areas on how we ought to work. One, integrity. When when they can't get away with pilfering, we don't because God sees us. This is an attitude that we should have. The second on work should be excellence. I said it prior, I'll say it again. Are we just working to get by? Are we just doing the minimum? No. Paul encourages those Christians to work hard. Are you trying to bless the employers by your attitude? Then work excellent. Servanthood is the third one. We see our work as an act of service. We see it towards people, and we see it towards the Lord. One of the distinguishing things about Christians is that they see how they serve. It affects the world. Why? Go back to the Matthew passage. We are to be called salt and light. We are to be called salt and light on the home front. We are to be called salt and light on the work front. And third thing, hope. Or fourth thing, sorry, hope. For a believer, their work doesn't define them. Our relationship in Christ does. 
But if you're apart from God, your job becomes your identity. It's usually the second question after what is your name that is asked. A believer is defined by his position with God, not his position on a flowchart. Why? So that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you want to know how to be a good example, how to be salt and light in the workplace? That's it. Integrity, excellence, servanthood, hope. If you work this way, you won't have any problem having opportunities to tell people about Christ. They'll see that your attitude is different. And Paul shifts gears here. You see, the first ten verses was kind of like, hey, do these things. Have this attitude. This next passage is kind of just a beautiful reminder of why. Let me read it for you. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions, to live self-controlled, there's that word again, upright and godly lives in the present age. Do you see why I picked Matthew chapter 5? I want us to understand that this is not just pulled out of the hat. This is from the very beginning. You can really work hard and pat your own self on the back. And that is a great religion that will get you nowhere. Or we can keep reading. And it says this. Waiting for our hope. Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Verse 11, this is a reference to Christ's entirely earthly life, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It covers the imagery of grace breaking into our life. It totally changes our life. From look at me to look at him. It's not what I've done. Remember, that's what Matthew said, so that people could see your good works and praise the Father who is in heaven. God's grace appeared visibly through Jesus Christ. Please don't forget that. Verses 12 and 13, this is saving grace. But yet, it's also a training faith. Salvation involves double work of redeeming us from the guilt and judgment and producing moral purity and lives of helpful service to others. My friends, your faith should not be dead. It's alive, it's inactive, and it's always a work in progress. Strive for that. Pray for that. Verse 14. Notice that each phrase corresponds to an aspect of the gospel. Who gave himself up for us. This summarizes Christ's willing, 
substantiary work on the cross to die for our, to die our death, to take upon himself our sin, to redeem us from all wickedness. He paid the price that was necessary to free us from our bondage to sin and Satan. And remember how I said when we were talking about self-control and, and, and men, my friends, if you find yourself in bondage to sin, and it may not be pornography, it could be something completely different, go back to verse 14. He has redeemed you from all wickedness. Why? To purify for himself a people that are his very own. Through the work of the cross, Jesus is calling people not into a religion, but into a relationship where our complete lives belong to him. And lastly, it changes us, people who are eager to do what is good. We seek to think and live like Jesus. And Paul, kind of as an afterthought, goes, and Titus, you keep encouraging those. You keep encouraging them to live their life as an offering to God in this wonderful grace of Christ. My friends, we look at Titus 2. We wrestle with it. Because we see some, some pretty big things. We, we see generations working together in a relationship. Biblically encouraged to work together in a relationship. Why? Not for own, our own glory. Not so that we can go tell our friend and say, hey, I've been helping them out. But so that we can see the kingdom of God at hand. So that we can see and encourage others to experience the gospel grace and the mercy of the cross. And so tonight, I I actually titled tonight's message, Upward, Backward, Forward, the Gospel. Titus 1, or Titus 2, verse 1 says this, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? My friends, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Titus 2, 11 through 14. Hold on to that promise and know that when you have a relationship with Christ, you are changed. You will continue to be changed. You will continue, God willing, to grow. To not coast when you think the coast is clear, but to keep enduring, keep encouraging. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, the gospel is this, upward, We look upward to the beauty and glory of the God who saved you. Backward. We look backward to the price he paid on the cross for our sin. Forward. Oh, man. We look forward to what he's making you and the future hope and joy that we have in him. These things will grow naturally in your heart if you look to the cross, if you look to the gospel, if you look at God's sacrifice. A lot of people will say, can God really love me? And I will say, absolutely. Look at the cross. Does God care? Yeah, he cares. What does the cross teach you? It teaches you that he loved you enough to allow his son to be crushed, crucified, 
pay the penalty of my sin so I could be restored, so I could be forgiven. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen? Father God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the gospel. We look at these things, and we're constantly reminded of upward, backward, and forward. I'm amazed at your loving gospel, of your grace, of your mercy. I look at, I look at Titus, and, and Father, I'm just, I'm amazed at how many times you have to remind us to be self-controlled because we let our minds wander selfishly on earthly pleasures. And so my prayer for us here is that if there's anything distracting us from you tonight, and it could be a sin, it could be even our own pride, it could be something that has happened to us by someone else, it could be the hypocrisy of of, of the religious world, God, I pray that we would actually get real with you tonight. We would examine what you told Titus to look for and to encourage the generations. And we would see the gospel message in Titus 2, that you paid the price for that relationship. Why? So we would be different than the world, to be salt and light for you. In Jesus' name, amen.